Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Welcome back to another episode of Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour Podcast. I'm Elisa Benson, and I'm so excited to be in a room full in the Cosmopolitan.com unicorner as we speak with a room full of entertainment pop culture experts. And together today, we are going to count down the 10 most important things that happened in pop culture in 2015. And by most important, I really mean what we wanted to talk about today. <laughs> Most important by Cosmo standards. So let me introduce you all to Patty Greco, Cosmopolitan.com's entertainment editor. Hi, Patty. Hello. Is this like, this is sort of like, um, as an entertainment editor for the site, you oversee all that entertainment coverage. This is sort of like your like magnum opus. Yeah, I feel like we couldn't even like narrow the list down to 10. Thank God for you because you helped like keep us in order. Well, at the end of the day, we were just like cutting off things that were majorly important. We we're like, let's just talk about this. Yeah, it's really, yeah. 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 So everyone's about to find out. Um, I am also here with Alex Reese. Hi, Alex. Hi, hi. Love a top 10 list. Very excited. <laughs> I think you're actually more excited about the top 10 list format than Love the. It. Exactly. Um, but Alex, you guys have heard him in his sexy British accent <laughs> here before is our pop culture writer and editor. Um, Eliza Thompson, who's our associate entertainment editor. And every time you're on the podcast, Eliza, I call out that you are also a contestant on Jeopardy. It's true. I lost. I, have to, I feel like I have to say I lost, but I did. That's so woman of you. You were on Jeopardy. You were on Jeopardy. That's the whole story. Own it. Exactly. I wasn't enough, on Jeopardy. Smart enough to get on Jeopardy. Right. It was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Um, the, we, every time Eliza's on, I basically want to spend the entire episode talking about that. But we have 10 important pop culture <laughs> moments to count down, so I will not spend any more time bugging you about Jeopardy. But um, I'm also very excited to introduce our special guest today, Danielle Henderson, who's a freelance writer for Cosmo and a bazillion, a bazillion other places. Hi, Hi, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm so excited. What's good? What's good? (laughs) Oh, that's like a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I've been saying it all year. (laughs) year. Hi, Grandma. What's good? (laughs) (laughs) So, exactly. We're already getting ahead of ourselves. There are so many things we're excited to talk about. But um, So, we are counting down those 10 most important moments of the year. And so, number 10 on our list, I think it's fair to say that this has been the year of Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift squad. So, Eliza, can you kind of walk us through why, you know, 1989 didn't even come out this year, but yet it felt like it did. <laughs> well, um, I think the main reason for that is because she went on her tour this year and then instituted this process of bringing out 8 million of her friends, um, which I, so I, you went to the show, right? I went to the show. Did you have any special guests? I literally went in Minneapolis, and there were no special guests. It was like the oh one God. tour day. I know it was like Taylor Swift doesn't care about Minneapolis or like that's no other clubs. Brutal. Yeah. So I like. I mean, I think there were only a handful of tour dates that didn't have a guest, and I was at one of them. I'm oh my God, I would want say. a discount. I or know. Like a I know. She couldn't put Lena Dunham on a plane. For like I know. One exactly. show. Exactly. <laughs> I think that there were three dates in Minneapolis, and I don't think there was a guest for any of them. So. Wow. Well, she had two main methods of doing this. There, there was the style runway walk where she would bring out people like Lily Aldridge and Martha Hunt, who like can't sing, obviously, because they're models. Right. And then she would bring out <laughs> another person, sometimes that made sense, to sing their big song with her. Like, for example, at the show I went to with Patty, we saw Nick Jonas do Jealous. But then other times, her choices were a little more questionable. Like, she brought out... Fetty Wap at one point to sing Trap Queen, which was just kind of like 
I mean, obviously he was a huge entertainment story this year too, but then you just have to imagine like Taylor Swift on the phone with Fetty Wap and like how does that conversation happen? <laughs> right. Right. Questionable because what's the connection right. Right. to Taylor Swift? And was there, I mean, I think that was a lot of the conversation around this. Personally, I was obsessed with noticing how every time she would post an Instagram after the show, I was like, how many ways has she found to say, like, this was mind-blowing or this was amazing? That was, I got really interested in, like, her mixing up her captions to sort of say so-and-so. Because, you know, she couldn't be like, oh, yeah, this person was fine. <laughs> My guest <laughs> yesterday was okay. You know, everything had to be the best thing ever. But um, I think there was a lot of conversation around whether or not the guests made sense, why were they there um who did you guys feel most surprised by on the tour i felt most Ooh. surprised by having no guest star at all <laughs> but well now that i'm hearing it fetty wop i mean what yeah that was a weird one matt leblanc was there at one point <gasps> oh, right? oh that was in the staple at the staple center and she also had um chris rock chris, that night yeah. mm-hmm. that was what? during the like runway walk yeah there was some real off, what is off the wall I can, choices. The parody was probably my favorite yes. thing to come out of this whole thing, That's although true. I can't quite remember examples, but it was this parody where it's like, please welcome to the stage, like, the Virgin Mary. <laughs> like, it was like, um, please welcome to the stage my two best friends, Gigi Hadid and the Blair Witch. <laughs> <laughs> like, my favorite, favorite uh, one. I occasionally just quote to myself. Right. <laughs> or right now. <laughs> right, or right now. That's so good. So, good. so this was definitely the year of Taylor Swift's in... Taylor Swift's. I don't know why I just said that. Taylor Swift's friends. Yeah. The year of Taylor Swift's plural. But, um, and they just made a big announcement that she is streaming her concert live on, it's a concert special live on Apple Music, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I'm obviously like a huge Taylor Swift fan and will probably like live tweet that for my own enjoyment and maybe also for Cosmos. But um, segueing right out of Taylor Swift and onto our number nine thing on the list, another sort of girl power moment. Patty, can you talk to us about the Jennifer Lawrence pay gap essay heard around the world? Yes. So in October, Jennifer Lawrence wrote for Lenny Letter, which is Lena Dunham's newsletter with Jenny Connor. Um, she wrote an essay about the fact that she got paid less than her male counterparts for American Hustle. And this all comes out of um, something that happened in December, which was the Sony hack, where we first discovered that she got paid less than guys like Bradley Cooper and Jeremy Renner. Um, So she wrote this essay, and it sort of wasn't, like, you didn't really get any sense of why she got paid less, like the machinations that go on behind the scenes and what happens with agents. But she says really powerful things. And I hate the word powerful because it's cheesy, but here we go. Um, I would be lying if I didn't say there was an element of wanting to be liked that influenced my decision to close the deal without a real fight. I didn't want to seem difficult or spoiled. So I think what people latched onto there was this idea more broadly of how women, whether they're celebrities or not, um, talk about what they deserve or what they earn in the workplace. Um, I also like this. I'm over trying to find the adorable way to state my opinion and still be likable. Fuck that. I don't think I've ever worked for a man in charge who spent time contemplating what angle he should use to have his voice heard. It's just like that really, because, you know, there was a part of me, and then I'll stop babbling, that was like, okay, cool J-Law, which she acknowledges in this. Like, I'm glad that, I'm sorry that you didn't get $20 million, but right. instead $15 million. Right. But the principle still stands, and the whole, like, thing about, uh, you know, how women might negotiate differently was still powerful. And I have, like, actually so many questions about this that I'm going to ask you all right now. The first (laughs) is, I had kind of forgotten about the connection to the Sony hacks. Is that when, I mean, is that how Jennifer Lawrence, we assume, found out this information? Like, the same way we all did? I don't, I'm I'm assuming it, but I don't actually know that for sure. I mean, the, the essay suggests to a certain extent that she sort of knew and um, wasn't fighting, but right. it doesn't actually get clarified. And for me personally, not to have a negative spit on this whole thing, it's actually something I wish were clarified in the essay because the essay had to work um, in those sort of softer terms that celebrities often have to operate in so as not to get blacklisted or not sure. to seem ungrateful. But she didn't actually say, here is my agent. When an agent negotiates... X, Y, and Z happens. You kind of got more of a flavor of that when Bradley Cooper and Jeremy Renner jumped in. Bradley Cooper says, usually, like, you're not involved with that. You have people who do it for you. Jeremy Renner, of course, had to be the more dickish version of that, bless him, which was, I don't deal with that. It's not my problem. He didn't say that, but that was more his tone. tone. Yeah. 
And so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I guess I wish it were answered more because that is the backroom dealing type of stuff that we don't really get to hear about. Right. And I that was sort of you answered the next question I wanted to ask, which I think it's so important that she came out and, you know, said all of these things. And I think exactly what you said, she sort of hit the nail on the head in terms of the discomfort and not mm-hmm. wanting to seem unlikable that I think is real for so many women. But I did sort of wonder, like, Jennifer Lawrence isn't the one that's like sitting in a room right. negotiating the way like I sit in a room and negotiate if I ever ever get a new job you know so I did sort of wonder about that like I I just want I want more information about that I think it's important and I think loss in this whole conversation is putting responsibility on these agents who aren't going to bat or fighting as hard for or even starting with a number that is fair in the first place when they go in to negotiate for these women oftentimes women are represented by male agents oftentimes they're represented by female agents Mm -hmm. who also represent men and they know better than anybody else what everyone is getting paid. What everyone is getting paid. Right. In and some so, ways, that should be an advantage for these people. Yeah. I, so. Yeah. It's also interesting, I think, with the entertainment industry because, you know, you there is a lot of conversation around, like, how bankable a star is. And I think there's a feeling that you can put a number on someone's head. You know, somebody like Jennifer Lawrence, especially, that has had so many movies that have performed so well. Um, which, in some ways, again, I sort of feel like this should make it easier for you than for us, like, regular people. Whereas, like, I don't... I don't really know how much money my job brings to the table. I don't know how profitable this podcast is. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that that, I don't know. I felt like it, and this is maybe always the case. I felt like that was such an important moment, but to me it almost like raised as many questions as I felt like it answered. Right. And, and I, that disparity oh. between the, the amount of money she was making, like what you were saying earlier, the difference between $20 million and $15 million, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but in the scope of a regular woman's life, that's the that's the seventy seven cents that they're not seeing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, all right, the difference between seventy seven cents that you're making versus the dollar that a man is making ends up being about that much money, <laughs> like right. that big of a difference over the course of your career or the course of your job. And that I think was a good way to illuminate that for like working women everywhere. Just hey, right. if you don't have anyone standing up for you, if you're not negotiating on your own, um, you're missing out mm-hmm. on money. Whether it's $5 million or $5,000, that's right. a lot of money. Absolutely, absolutely. So moving on to number eight on our list, we could not have a Cosmo podcast about the top entertainment moments of the year and not talk about Fifty Shades. Um, although, Ooh. Danielle, I want you to sort of walk us through this, but I have to say, like, part of me is like, that happened this year? Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> it feels like a century ago. Yes. Right? <laughs> because the lead-up to that movie was so intense, starting with the fact that they cast like Don Johnson and Melody Griffith's daughter, um, Dakota Johnson, and she was so unknown, and there was all this casting stuff, and there were all these, um, all this news about, you know, how the author, how, how involved the author was, or not involved, and it was just this onslaught of Fifty Shades before it even came out. Right. Um, and then it did come out, it was released in March, and very quickly surpassed $500 million at the box office. And it was the worst movie. <laughs> like it's like watching two stone slabs right. talk to each other and then occasionally like beat each other up throughout for like two hours. And I know that it's that, that there'll be a sequel. I know that there are three books or what have you, or now four books. Um, but it ended in such an abrupt way that it was almost unforgivable that they made the movie at all. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, you're really banking on the fact that we're all going to put money down to see this again. Right. You should have given us some kind of resolution. But the, the experience of going to see it was similar to like the Magic Mike moment of the mm-hmm. year where my theater was a riot. It yeah. was like raucous. Everyone was talking, popcorn thrown at the screen. No one took this seriously. And so for a movie about like kind of a hardcore kinky sexual um, side of people, it was really interesting to me that it was immediately comical. Like, nobody yeah. took it seriously right. at all. Well, I feel like I actually wish it was more comical. Yes. Because, you know, like you said, it was like two, what'd you say? It's like, like two, two stone slabs. Yeah. Yes. It was, <laughs> I could not believe that a movie that is 100% about sex and kinky sex at that was so boring. So boring and not hot. Not, not hot. hot. I like, I no. When you open the door to that room, I'm like, you need some wallpaper. There's something you, you're you're missing something sexy here because these whips and things are not enough. 
Like, right. just the fact that you guys are so boring together. <laughs> they had no chemistry. No chemistry. It was really tragic. It was tragic. I've seen hotter episodes of, like, Law and Order. Right. <laughs> right. And it was all, like, I feel like in the name of circumventing this NC-17 rating. So it's like certain shots right. had to be shot a certain way so that you could just see a whip coming out and then nothing happen- happening with it. Although, frankly, I don't want to see anybody I getting know. whipped. I don't <laughs> want to see anybody getting whipped. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's the, like the general conceit here is that there's a lot of investment in the fact that people care about this kind of sex. Like it's not as it's more mainstream than it ever was. Like kinky right. sex in general is more mainstream than ever. So there's it's not like you're shocking anybody, but like oh my, a whip? What? Right. <laughs> what is he going to do with that? So it wasn't shocking and it wasn't hot and then it wasn't a good movie. Like there was no good dialogue. There was that scene where they were sitting at the table and like negotiating the contract. Right. And I've legitimately had sexier negotiations in my own life. <laughs> like where there was no sexual chemistry at all. It was just so shockingly boring for a movie that cost that much, made that much, and had that much publicity. Right. I think it's tricky. I'm gonna just I'm gonna have to defend it for a minute. Like go for it. There's only so many ways you can polish a turd. And <laughs> like, when you start like I love the books, but they are not high literature in any form. And you're also right. having to pander, pander more than cater to an audience who take what has been written super seriously. You can't exactly. transform that into some high-end extravaganza film where it's artsy and the characters make sense because they don't in the book like they are one-dimensional they are stupid and you don't enjoy them you kind of just enjoy the ride of it all right and i think the film did what a strict like book to film it was done it was legit if you had signed up for that then i think you could leave the cinema being reasonably happy with it See, I, I hadn't did. read the books. Yeah. <laughs> so I just went into it thinking, oh, I don't need to read the books. I'll be fine. And then I got in there and I'm like, what? How did we build a publishing empire on this? <laughs> right. America has a lot to answer for. <laughs> Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. I will actually say, I think the books are a little funny. Like, I (laughs) think the books are a lot stronger than the... The movie took itself so seriously, Mm -hmm. and I actually don't think the book was quite as, like, self-serious, I guess. Do you Um, think a lot of that was Jamie Dornan being so serious? I thought he was way worse than I was expecting. I feel like, I don't know if this was, like, the... um, the sort of what you guys all thought about it but I ended up going into it thinking that she was really great yep. sort of mm-hmm. better than mm-hmm. I expected and that he was so I mean I think he's so hot and I couldn't believe how much of a like boring nothing he was on screen right yeah and he was he was in that series The Fall right yeah, yeah. and he plays like a maniac killer rapist weirdo and was hotter in that than he was in (laughs) like someone you would never want to encounter in a dark alley and I'm like he was really cute he had a little beard and he was like and then in this movie I feel like he was just so over it before he even started and his way of playing Christian was so austere right and not funny at all like there was no room for comedy or any kind of uh, detachment from that roughness and but they're both signed on to do the and do we know is the third one being split into two parts? No, like, and they're no. getting shot. Okay. Okay. So they're getting know. shot back to back. No. Oh, okay. Oh, they, no. Oh, they didn't even announce. It oh, yeah. Split up. Whether they'll do that after they film it, like. I feel oh, like I see what you mean. In editing, editing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they yeah. should, but I do How feel like they. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Having read all three, right, <laughs> all four of the books, right. I feel like they did announce like Valentine's Day twenty seventeen and Valentine's Day twenty eighteen are like the two. Do you guys feel, last thing, and then we're moving on to our number seven on the list, but do you guys feel optimistic that it will do a turnaround before the next two installments? No. 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 (laughs) But it doesn't need to do a turnaround. It is like, I mean, I'm going to go and see it again. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to see it again. Yeah, I'm also going to see it again. (laughs) I'll go, for sure. It's like a ride of a movie. I will definitely go. I need to know what happened. It didn't end in a a way that made me feel good at all. It didn't. It ended on such this downer note after being such a downer movie. But I will also just say, I saw Magic Mike in theaters, I think, two or three times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've since also rented it. I paid money to run it. I'm like, it was so good. No comparison. 
point to be made there are no sex scenes in Magic yes, Mike right. compared to only sex scenes but terrible ones in this movie and right. you love Magic Mike horny as fuck right <laughs> <laughs> absolutely perfect way to put it <laughs> and it was like a respectful feminist movie almost in a way yes absolutely absolutely we don't actually sadly we don't have Magic Mike on our list we slipped it in we slipped <laughs> it in right now. We, yeah exactly exactly just the tip, basically. Um, <laughs> that's actually a terrible transition. Like, I'm and like, I'm like, I know. Dying. I know. Okay, so we've talked about T Swift. We've talked about Jennifer Lawrence. We've talked about Fifty Shades. We have to talk about, even though it's bringing us to a place of gray darkness. We have to talk yeah. about the Duggars. They're number seven on our list. That was such a moment this year, Alex. The Duggars have had a bunch of moments. Yes. As I was kind of recapping the year in Duggars and thinking about it, I had to do a quick second before we get to the uh, serious, not-so-fun stuff. Jessa Duggar gave birth to her first child, and they named their baby Spurgeon. <laughs> Spurgeon. <laughs> like, just, I have nothing to say about that, other than, other than the fact that just it Just to happened. pronounce it yeah. eloquently. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, serious, terrible stuff happened with the Duggars, um, and it was kind of a two-part drama, tragedy, just awful, awful situation for the family. I think however you feel about them, it's a shitty thing to have happen to you in the media. Um, back in May, In Touch magazine, this tabloid kind of came out of nowhere um, and broke a story that as a teenager, Josh Duggar, the eldest Duggar son, had uh, inappropriately touched, molested, it's kind of been couched in a couple of different terms, five uh, girls. They, were, they weren't identified. Uh, one was a babysitter, not named. The other four, um, it kind of went around with. Two of his sisters, Jessa and Jill, eventually came forward and said, you know, we were victims of this, which I think is really brave. However you want to take right. the narrative as the family have tried to couch it, you know, as a victim of sexual, sexual abuse, as a child as well, to, you know, to go public is really brave. Um, that was really awful, and Josh had to resign from his job at the Family Research Council, which maybe for the best. Um, we can leave that there, and TLC put the show on ice. They didn't cancel it outright after this, which was kind of crazy, right. and they didn't cancel it until a few months later, I think just around the time that it also emerged Josh had been cheating on his wife and had accounts on Ashley Madison and OkCupid, where he was uh, trolling for sex which is not something a good Duggar boy should do. <laughs> and is that the point when TLC pulled the plug officially? I actually want to say that they pulled the plug a little bit before okay. news officially broke, but I had read a few pieces, I'm pretty sure, that it took a while for Josh to be found like amid all the Ashley Madison data. Right. So I think they had maybe got wind that some other shit was going to be floating down and you guys are all experts so you know way more about this than i do but that was unusual i mean networks i feel like are actually usually pretty quick to pull the plug on things right well yeah. they had they had canceled didn't they cancel honey boo boo yeah. like immediately right. after news right. broke that mama june had been seeing a child molester yeah. and then it was just done immediately and she got mad about that yeah. when they yeah. kept the duggars for that indefinite period of time before canceling it officially. Because right. they were still airing reruns for a while mm -hmm. as well, which, mm -hmm. you know, still does bank for TLC. Mm -hmm. um, and so sort of, you know, the Duggars have been in and out of the news. I'm glad you touched on some of the happy reasons yes. as well as some of the, like, less happy reasons. I think it's sort of like, let's take this one step further. You know, what does this really mean? Like, why are we all so fascinated by this family? It's How many seasons has it been on the air? I mean, they've been on the air since 2005, 2006. Like, right. Definitely. I feel like when it started, I mean, what is it? Like 19 kids in county now? I right. feel like it was 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. When, I mean, they have their she babies did. pretty regularly. And, yeah. you know, I think one of the things, you know, of course, the, the scandal, you know, was terrible in its own right. But I think a lot of the sort of conversation around this when it happened was sort of like, you know, this family has been uh, saying a few things that aren't yes. necessarily, you know, we've been holding them up for a long time. And in some ways, like, has this been the best sort of family to put on TV? I don't know. But <clears throat> what do you guys think in terms of why there's so much fascination around this family? Well, there's a spectacle of them b building an yeah. army. Like, they're part of a yeah. religion that believes that 
the way forward is to have as many children as possible so you can always have as many religious like a religious hold for as long as possible so the fa- the size of their family is so interesting to most people who either don't want kids or only want like one or two they can't fathom taking care of that many children um so they've always been kind of in the news for being that but then there's also that kind of strange way that it coincided i think with the way the country as a whole had this like return to families value mm-hmm. values kind of thing mm-hmm. and they seemed like they were prime for television they were really solid in their community um and we kind of were able to skirt the weird religious stuff to kind of look at the lives of people that i think we normally would not interact with most of us like mm-hmm. on a daily yeah. basis and so the spectacle and the kind of circus aspect to it became really tied into some of our political values mm-hmm. and I think that's why a lot of yeah. people were very interested in what was happening because their religion is legitimately like, what, what do they call them like quiverful yeah quiverful quiverful <laughs> that sounds so disgusting <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely used in a Fifty Shades scene I think they used a quiverful <laughs> I don't know if it's an insertion or a snacking <laughs> thing but yes yeah, like quiverful and the whole idea of the power structure of that family is so patriarchal mm-hmm. and it's so and it's not even a traditional patriarchy like it, it takes it three steps further um so it's, it was really interesting for me to see them from a remove as both tabloid fodder but then also very indicative of the power structures of our country right mm-hmm. now and what's going on mm-hmm. and i think that makes everyone want to kind of find a putting there to watch and see what's going to happen. I think that's really true, because, like, you can watch the show and, you know, like, they are an unusual family. They're a very large family. They live their lives kind of outside of most of us in big cities do. Um, And, you know, you see, like, these cutesy things, like, there are courtship rituals, and you can take that as weird. A lot of people watch the show and think it's cute, but then you can kind of finish the episode and you go to the Duggar family blog and you realize that, hey, the guys, you know, these guys, Michelle, Jim Bob, the parents, even some of the older kids are speaking at virulently anti-gay political conferences. Like that narrative isn't necessarily furthered on the show, but they don't hide it either. So you've got this dichotomy, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people I think were really pleased to see upended Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. year. Um, Yeah, I mean, TLC is empowering people uh, who are, actively being hateful to other no. people. They yeah. gave him a they gave him a platform. Yeah. yeah, they gave him a platform for hate speech. And then they also had literally the room went black on that note. Yeah. You say that just because yeah. it's like really Exactly. Out. It did it was like that was like a weird like visual like yeah. mic drop or something like that. Um <laughs> and it's kinda of, it's creepy the way that, that they were able to do that because I think people have lost jobs for less in, in the public yeah. eye. Mm-hmm. You know, that they could go on their blog and it's protected and it's fine for them to have all this hate speech be part of their family brand and then they market their family brand in a kind of a different way on TV. That was kind of weird yeah. and awful. And I think we shouldn't we shouldn't have rewarded that to begin with. But now that this all this has come to light, it's just, it's very sad to me um, because it really speaks to how little voice that women in that community have and mm-hmm. how... Um, he was able to get away with this for so long and the way that the families tried to protect him even after mm-hmm. this news came out and even mm-hmm. after their daughters said that they were molested they were still kind of backing him up mm-hmm. and I was like oh I can't I can't um, I think we need a palate cleanser after that so we're gonna like move <laughs> on to number six on the list one of my things I'm so excited to talk about um, Patty I'm gonna let you walk us through McDreamy dying on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, oh spoiler alert. <laughs> That's the palate cleanser. Clearly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are a big fan. Uh, that all came out wrong. I just mean talking about Grey's Anatomy is such a lovely delight. Yeah. So this was devastating. And also, spoiler alert for all of you, but it's like, spoiler alert, not for me. Not to complain, but when you're like an entertainment editor at all, you could just have a show that you've been invested in for more than a decade ruined for you mm-hmm. on the internet, which mm-hmm. is kind of what happened here. Anyway, <laughs> uh, April happens, April 22nd, there's a page six rumor that said Diva Behavior was going to get Patrick Dempsey killed off. Alex, to my right, wrote that. Um, <laughs> meantime, his contract was up through season 12. We're only at season 11. Okay, well, this rumor happens. Next day, the show airs, and he gets killed off. <laughs> Okay, this is, this is, I mean, really worth getting worked up over. Small, small thing to mention, which is just so funny, is that 
EW subscriber issues went out early. <gasps> so to give you a little inside fun, I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, EW's subscriber issue went out, spoiling the ending, because it has this exit interview with McDreamy, Patrick Dempsey. Uh, a woman who watches the show, gets the subscription, posted it on Instagram. It starts to spread. And so I email her a night blogger, and I'm like, this shit's going down right. tonight for right. real. So she's ready to like watch it and write up the post. It's a huge story. Our readers are go crazy, and I think not just our readers, readers of the internet in general um which goes to show you that people still care about the show um and now let's talk about the person who did this to us (laughs) who we love (laughs) and we cannot believe shonda rhimes okay she did this uh because supposedly she said after the fact she made a statement she said he had to die because there was no graceful way to um, break up Meredith and Derek in a way that would be true to their relationship because they were the great love story of the show. Okay, one option is not to kill him off. <laughs> but Sean <laughs> to kill him off, and the rumors, of course, were that there was diva behavior and, um, I don't know, All there were a lot of rumors that went around about it. But um, it happened, and Shonda, who is fierce and not going to let anyone fuck around with her, anyone she has killed off characters before and she will kill off characters again (laughs) okay so let this be a lesson doesn't matter 11 years into the show doesn't matter you're anyway so blah blah blah. i'm going on and on but um he got yeah in a a car accident and then was rushed to a trauma center where there were like ill-equipped doctors nobody who actually actually wasn't a trauma center was the point it was a hospital without a trauma center and bodunk who the fuck knows now penny is on the new season and i can't (laughs) anyway (laughs) Penny let him die, and you're hearing his own, the, the greatest neurosurgeon in the fucking world saying, no, no, like, you got to do this. I'm, I'm going to ble- I have a brain bleed. He knows it. Right. I okay. am getting chills hearing you talk about this, because I did not actually watch the episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was not, of course I knew it was going to happen, like, I was not in a place emotionally where I felt like I could handle it. Yeah. So I kind of, I mean, the show has, is strong as ever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't do it. I was so sad. It was ruined for me on Twitter. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I don't have to watch it because one day I will, but now I'm so mad that I know that (laughs) I can't watch it today. (laughs) I mean, I think it really, Shonda, if you're listening, I think it really felt like a betrayal. I mean, it was, we had seen all the ups and downs of Meredith and Derek's relationship for so long and it was like they were finally in a place where what I want to see on TV which is just status quo of people's lives like I don't want to see any drama it's why I loved parenthood nothing ever happened it was just status quo like I was sort of in that place Mm -hmm. with you know like Meredith and Derek and you know I think a few seasons back on Grey's Anatomy when the show had kind of gotten a little crazy and off the rails I think Shonda kind of acknowledged that like we're taking this back to a place of like no more having sex with ghosts etc etc so you know I think that this was really shocking and you know I I think don't you think it's fair to say people felt betrayed I mean yeah I was actually mad at Shonda which is hard because I love I love her and I love her work but I was mad at her and I thought like that she made a rash decision right which is really patronizing because she has three shows and I don't but I was just like did she like really think this was gonna fly is she sure actually she said in an interview with Elle they asked her were you surprised by like the backlash and the fan response and she said yes I was I I had it down I was very surprised at how large the reaction was I think it's because we exist in this bubble here in LA and everything is about what's new Mm -hmm. and she didn't remember that there are really like serious fans Mm -hmm. with this and I think that that I mean she wound up getting through it because the show is really strong still without him there but I don't I mean there was backlash for sure I was, yeah. I was pissed. Yeah, I was basically still getting over, slash still I'm not over Christina leaving. Oh, oh yeah. completely. Yeah. That was, de- that was devastating for me. I was like, wait a minute, because you're taking the central character who exhibits so much strength that we rarely see in women on TV, and you're sending her away, like out of the country. Right. She's just, that was more devastating. I, I mean, I felt like McDreamy was devastating in its own right, but I didn't feel as much of a betrayal to me, I think because... I the, the only reason the show has been strong or been able to exist for 12 seasons is because she's not afraid to mix it up. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate right. from a creative point of view that she's not afraid to kill her darlings, but it is as a viewer and an invested person, like inv- someone who's invested in the show 
for so many years, yeah, <laughs> it did feel a little bit rash. Mm-hmm. It felt a little abrupt mm-hmm. because and it, it wasn't shocking in like a oh great way, right, <laughs> right. Because it's not just about losing that character; it's also about what this means for Meredith. And now we have right. to like go on with the show without. That's why I'm shipping Meredith and Alex because the only person she could ever move on with at this point, and it could be okay, is Alex. Right. And he's, single mother. A dr- uh. he's a dream. <laughs> he's, no, he's, Alex is the best. He's been an interesting this character. This is Alex on the show. Alex Reese. We'll say the best. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> named Alex is the best. Surprise! You're on Crazy Anatomy this season. <laughs> Yay! Um, so moving on, we are halfway through our list of the ten cosmoiest, most deliciousest <laughs> pop culture moments of the year. And number five, Miley, what's good? Danielle, you spoiled this one earlier. <laughs> Talk to us We're about. Spoiled for the world. Spoiled for oh, the world. Oh my god. Talk us through what happened and why this was such an important moment this year right so at the video music awards Nicki minaj hops up and um has in the middle of her very gracious acceptance speech uh kind of turns like her face turned and her Hmm. body language turned and she said you know she kind of turned to miley cyrus who was the host and who was then seated in the audience and she looked at her and said, you know, yeah, I hear what you've been saying about me in the press. Miley, what's good? Which is such a, like, Jamaica Queens response mm-hmm. call out in public. And it was very aggressive. And I think people um, were responding to the aggressiveness of it. Because then she very quickly was like, okay, thanks, bye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for their support, whatever. And the thing that had happened that started this off is that... Um, Nicki Minaj made some comments about how the Video Music Awards didn't didn't nominate her Anaconda video for Music Video of the Year, and she made a comment that was very based in race and said, you know, they they are basically rewarding uh, all the skinny white um, singers and they're not putting any real value on videos by rappers and people of color by not nominating them for this video this year. And Miley Cyrus... God bless a woman who has no real friends because nobody stops her from talking ever. (laughs) Uh, Miley Cyrus gets on Twitter and basically tells Nicki Minaj, sit down and shut up because her video was nominated. And so she was like, you know, you can't blame us. Oh, no, Taylor. Taylor. Taylor's video was nominated. It's like, you can't blame us for, um, you know, having these videos nominated. It sounds like whining to me. Um, it seems ungracious. Like, she was just very much... And this was... Miley's comments were in an interview with The Times. Right. right. She said that in The Times, and then she went on Twitter and basically tried to defend herself. Mm-hmm. And this is Nicki Minaj's call out to that. It was mm-hmm. like, hey, I see what you're saying about me. Right. And so when, when Miley Cyrus, who, again, is kind of tone deaf, in her own life, she didn't realize that what Nicki Minaj is saying is, and I think it was D. Lockett at Vulture who wrote about this kind of eloquently, where she said, you know, um, what she didn't realize is that Nicki Minaj was saying to her, you know, you're appropriating black culture all over the place, and you want to dance with us and sing with us, and, you know, kind of, you want to sit with us at the cafeteria, but you don't want to validate black women's voices when they tell you what's wrong in the music industry or what's happening to us in the music industry. And I think that Nicki Minaj had a valid point, and I was glad to see her use that public forum to say that, even though the Video Music Awards were, I think they were 40%, they lost 40% of their audience this year, like, the numbers were crashing down. So I don't know how many people watch the VMAs, but I think it was good for her to use that public platform to kind of call Miley out and then subsequently call out the music industry mm-hmm. and saying, hey, you're not going to tell me to sit down and shut up <laughs> because this is important to me and the way that I'm valued in this industry is different from the way I see other people being valued. Yeah, and I think there was um, you know, I think the sort of beef originally on Twitter between like Nikki and Taylor Swift kind of like stepping in and then like and then of course Taylor Swift and Nikki performed together at the VME so there was this right. moment of sort of like okay they've talked it out they've reconciled um, but then there was this very public calling out of Miley, right? Yeah, exactly, (laughs) as you said, of Nikki to Miley. And I think one of the reasons that this was particularly interesting is because I think that, you know, the VMAs, even though they're so crazy, like, there's a sense that everything feels very, like, staged and Mm -hmm. sort of, like, pre-planned. And I feel like this was sort of a real moment of tension and of Nikki really calling her out. And what has happened since then? Like, are Nikki and, like, I don't really, you know, again, we saw Taylor and Nikki kind of have this sort of public makeup moment, and I don't think that's really happened with Miley and Nikki. And I even question whether it's happened with Nikki and Taylor, because I feel like (laughs) they seem to have squashed their beef 
um, by recognizing that they could both be women who had opinions in the industry. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they, I, I just kind of, it made me feel bad to, to feel like, well, they have to be friends now. Right. Or they have to no, find a yeah. way to reconcile. They can't just be two women who, you know, they can't do the Drake and Meek Mill diss track thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't, they, their, their only outlet is to make up and kind of be quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that their, their makeup even happened, but certainly not with Miley. Like nothing's happened with, with the two of them. And I hope it doesn't, honestly, like I hope it doesn't. I think that it's okay for Miley to feel a little uncomfortable. I think it's okay for Nicki Minaj to talk talk out and kind of speak her mind about this um even though she's sometimes not right and she's kind of foolish about it i think it's it's a good thing to kind of look at these dynamics and the ways the ways that we still place such a great value on women kind of always staying in line mm-hmm. right and that's what really concerned me about the nikki taylor thing was like all right they were saying really legitimate things to each other um and it came to a point where it felt like because of the public image that they were both trying to protect, they had to kind of kiss and make up. Right. right. Which well, I called bullshit on. Even what Taylor's comment was, was, wow, wow, I never knew you to be the type to pit wom- uh, women against each other. Right. And it's like, no, that wasn't the point, Taylor, one. But two, it speaks to what you were saying, which is that there's always this um, drive or need for for women, I don't know, to not be pitted against one another right. for the sake of feminism, but in fact, men can be pitted against each other. And it's not about pitting, but you, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. There right. can be adversity, there can be differences of opinions without it meaning we are taking down the cause. Right. It could just mean that, no, actually, we are two smart people who are now hashing something out. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And especially Taylor's whole, like, going back to her whole squad thing, I think that people have been calling that out because she had, the Bad Blood video was this year, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so she has this Bad Blood video Video where um, on Jezebel they talked about how she um, kind of was using that to, to be the mean girl in school and like, hey, mm. this is my popular girl squad um, about this tr- song that was supposedly about Katy Perry. And so if you come at it from that perspective, it's like, well, Taylor, you're not always a person who fails to pit women against each other. Mm-hmm. Like you right. do that routinely and nightly <laughs> and by who you, you are choosing to bring on stage and no one acknowledges that that she so taylor kind of has some room to be a little bit negative but mm-hmm. in a very poppy way um and Nicki minaj doesn't have any room at all like the minute she says mm-hmm. something people are on it mm-hmm. and so i think that it was interesting that those were the two culprits and that miley kind of was some of the tried to do some of the defense and ended up really showing her ass in a lot of ways yeah i mean she, she doesn't know what she's talking about she yeah. just doesn't know oh sorry do you want to jump in no um, I can stop myself, I swear. <laughs> we could talk about this forever. I know, we could. Sorry, I just lost my... Can you, like, edit out this moment where I'm, like, typing in my computer notes again? <laughs> I was going to go back to Jeopardy, because literally the moment that whole shit show happened was the night that your Jeopardy episode oh, yeah. yeah. And like, running to see it. But no! Yeah, we missed the opening. Because I remember I did the first on post on Taylor and Nikki on Twitter, yeah. and then you, like, took over. Yeah. Because they just... Then, then they started to, like, have their back and forth. Mm-hmm. No, that's actually true. I always remember it that way, too. We were all trying to get <laughs> yeah. out of the office to watch yeah. Eliza on <laughs> Jeopardy. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> it's going down. It's going down. That's amazing! <laughs> like, I have another reason to dislike Taylor. <laughs> Stole my thunder. Stole your thunder, exactly. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Okay, so moving on to our number four item on the list. There was some beef earlier this year <laughs> between Zendaya and Juliana Rancic. Patty, yep. do you want to walk us through what happened? Yes. So the Fashion Police episode that followed the Oscars um, featured Juliana Rancic saying that Zendaya's hair, her dreadlocks, looked like she made her look like she smelled of weed and patchouli oil. Um, And Zendaya very eloquently commented about this on Instagram saying there's a fine line between what is funny and disrespectful. Someone says something about my hair at the Oscars that left me in awe. And she goes on to explain that this is very hurtful, having certain stereotypes attached with her hair um, and it wasn't funny and Julia Rancic, Juliana Rancic then apologized but ew. You know, like mm-hmm. ew. We were all kind of like, no. Um she claimed then she claimed so they're like excuses that it was edited and that it was written for her and i do believe all those things but i think one of the reasons why it was such an important cultural moment this year is that those excuses or not 
uh, Zendaya's explanation like opened up a door for a lot of talent to talk about um, one how these things are hurtful my thing just like went to sleep and two um, and two to talk a lot about cultural appropriation which Danielle you touched on this isn't exactly what Zendaya was talking about in this instance but it made her kind of a good voice to talk about things and people then knew Zendaya and like trusted her opinion and she talked about it in a nylon interview um, and then yeah and and then and then it opened the door for Amanda Sternberg to talk about it or Stenberg rather mm-hmm. and I think that we kind of like opened the year up to important conversations like that yeah and I think anybody that has been like following Zendaya since what is it her like Disney she's yeah. a Disney Baby, dancing right? with the stars. Dancing with the stars. Yeah, but you know, she's sort of in some ways been in the spotlight for a long time and I feel like she has she is so incredibly like wise beyond her years. Um, eighteen. Eighteen. It's unbelievable. She's twenty times more mature than I am. But um, you know, she's been talking about a lot of this stuff on her social media accounts for a while and I feel like this was sort of the moment where right. it really crossed over to sort of you know, I think there might have been people, like, old people that hadn't followed Zendaya from her, you know, early days that were sort of, like, really taking notice of what she was saying. Yeah, like, even me. I mean, of course I knew who she was, but I wasn't, like, listening actively right. to her Instagram accounts and or what she was saying on her Instagram accounts and whatnot. So this kind of, like, broke that open for her. Absolutely, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, this was also sort of, you know, there was... This was what this was during the Oscars, so it was like March or whatever. Yeah. So the okay. early half of the year. But I mean, there was some, you know, I think what you said about her sort of paving the way for other women to talk about these things. I think that was important. And fashion police kind of like fell a little apart. Yeah, after yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, spectacularly. It really, yeah. Right, right. So like that in of of itself too. And there was a whole moment after that where they were sort of like, we're going to be more careful about what we're saying. Right. I mean, it just laid bare how false the whole show was. Whether it's just you know that these funny people on the panel know the jokes are written for them like they're you know there was obviously absolutely no friendliness Mm -hmm. among any of them like not that Juliana deserved to you know have an outpouring of support from them but it was very clear that they were all more than happy to throw her under the bus. The Ooh. Kelly Osbourne thing became right. an absolute shit show. Oh, um, that was my favorite part of this one. Right. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it absolutely killed the show. Yeah. And so remind everyone what happened with Kelly Osbourne. Well, so Kelly and Zendaya um, are by all accounts good friends. Um, and Kelly was there at the taping. And I don't think there has been any uh, account other than she didn't stop it happening, didn't register mm-hmm. her complaints, although she did later say she was very uncomfortable with it. Um, she came out in support of Zendaya with some tweets after the whole thing blew up. And then, I mean, you know, uh, had some less than nice things to say about Juliana, which have mm-hmm. rolled on and on and on um, in the press since they've gone back and forth and quit the show, mm-hmm. basically, in conclusion. Um, what a mess. And, yes. and then Kathy Griffin quit yeah. the show, and then they had to go on hiatus. Right. And um, what is even going on with the show now? I can't even remember. It came back that, on in August, and yeah. it's just like, who right. cares? Like, Melissa Rivers said some, I don't know, I feel like shit about Zendaya, but not directly. Mm, remember that? Yeah. You blogged about mm. that. Um, but who cares about it? I mean, right. I know it's harsh to say, but... It really it was also bad timing because uh, that whole ask her more movement was going, which mm-hmm. I feel like was was about talking about uh, more than just fashion with women on the red carpet. Right. And so there's just this feeling that making a circus out of what women were wearing on the red carpet was already kind of low. Right. Uh, Joan obviously was gone. Right. And so the show is just womp womp. Right. So the <laughs> show is really like that's it. It was like, it might continue on in some capacity, but I feel like 2015 was really the year yeah. in, in terms of what it had been historically. It's sort of over and and done with. Um, speaking of things that are over and done with, oh. everyone knows what I'm about to say. Number three on our list, Zane leaving One Direction. Oh my God, Eliza, can you even bear to talk about it? No, I can't. I'm about to cry right now just thinking about it. You actually literally have like tears in your eyes. It's, I mean, it's, it just feels really raw and fresh still, even though it happened a while ago, March 25th. I remembered the date off the top of my head when I was preparing for this. I was like, it was March 25th. That's when they put the statement up. 
So I think I think you need to really okay. So even if you're not a One Direction fan, first of all, what are you doing with your life? But you know, there have been sort of rumors leading up to this for a while. You know, there's always right. been sort of rumors in the One D community about their management and sort of the guys like working too hard and they never get a break and like maybe they aren't happy. But this was still com- March 25th with 2015 was completely shocking. Right. Well, he. So what happened before? They were on tour. I think in Asia, and he um, didn't appear. He canceled a couple of dates, so they just played as a foursome. And then, so when that happened, there were rumors at the time that his then fiance. Um, there were rumors that he had cheated on her, Perry Edwards from Little Mix, who's basically they're really wonderful. <laughs> also, listen to Little Mix. Love them. Um, <laughs> and they were also formed on the X Factor, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they're kind of like... Zane met girl. Perry, I'm pretty sure, way back. That I mean, they weren't on the same year, but right. like One Direction have kept uh, an association with the X Factor in the UK. Right, it was like a star-crossed X Factor so. romance. Yeah. So yeah, there were rumors that he had cheated on Perry, and then there was this other weird thing where he and Louis had to... They had been seen smoking pot in a video from a while back, and so when they went to the Philippines, they were supposed to pay some sort of like pre-fine in case they got caught doing drugs. And so then there were like drug rumors that were, I think, a little unfounded. But then just out of nowhere, they were like, and Zane's leaving for good. Mm-hmm. And they did it on a Facebook statement, and it was very tragic. A completely anticlimactic Facebook statement. Yeah, he just said he wanted to be a normal 22-year-old. And I have it I have it copied and pasted here. <laughs> After five incredible years, Zane Malik has decided to leave One Direction. And then, you know, you just burst into tears. Yeah, I am want to burst into tears just talking about it. And Zane is so hot. So hot. Like, inappropriately hot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, thank God he's in his 20s now. So it's, like, okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's so yeah. inappropriate. Inappropriate. So, yeah, that was the boy brand breakup heard around the world for sure. Um, moving on to number two on our list. We can't talk about pop culture in 2015 without talking about Caitlyn Jenner, of course. Yes. I mean, if you're going to have, like, the year of the Kardashians, the year of Kylie Jenner, the year of Caitlyn Jenner kind of trumps everything mm-hmm. at this point. Um, it's been really incredible to watch her transformation and how she's handled it. I don't think she's always handled it perfectly. But as a, um, a very orchestrated campaign uh, in terms of a transition, um, it's been incredible. So uh, Caitlin had an interview with Diane Sawyer back in April, I think it was, where she announced the the transition. I think um, it was still perhaps a little vague at that point in the specifics of how far along the process was. She, she obviously didn't go into details of surgery or anything like that. Neither should she have to, just to make that very clear. That's not like something a trans person should have to talk about. Um, there had obviously been a ton in the press for months. Rumours, paparazzi photos, this, that and the other. But um, yeah, after the Diane Sawyer interview, there was really a very short period of time, I think a month tops before the Vanity Fair cover came out and I think that was it was the July issue so the beginning of June and it's really kind of been non-stop Caitlin all aboard the Kate train <laughs> then, pretty much it's I mean it's been incredible I am Kate was a really fascinating show in terms of being you know frothy Kardashian nonsense but also a really interesting window into the trans community from a very privileged mm-hmm. um, at times off base perspective um, but you know, into a community that a lot of people watching that show, I guarantee you, did not know mm-hmm. much about beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's been just really interesting to watch. I mean, and I think that is why you know, taking there are very few sort of families that are as big as the yeah. Kardashian family. But you know, on that level of fame, and so to have something like this, and you know, I think that was the moment when Caitlyn was sitting down with Diane Sawyer. You know, she's sort of saying like, "I had the real story the whole time." Yes. Like, I feel like that was such a <laughs> moment that came out of that interview. But to see you know somebody at that level of fame sort of come out with this. Um, you know, to talk about their identity yeah. so publicly in a way that I think for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't know personally someone who is transgender. And, you know, I think just sort of seeing um, people at that level of fame talk about this has been so incredible and like really a defining moment in yeah. 2015. I think also the way they've handled it as a family has obviously been very well managed and there's not a lot of spontaneity there but I think as individuals it's been really refreshing that they haven't swept 
the entire struggle under the mug, you know, because sure. it's not an easy process. And to say that it is, even for somebody with the resources and support network as Caitlin does, is doing, you know, the process, the journey, the transition, a huge disservice. Mm-hmm. So they have gone off brand, you know, they have misgendered her occasionally. Mm-hmm. You know, Chloe in particular, like she has, from all accounts, struggled the most. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 not great in that sense but it's good to see that happen because you need to know that it's messy Mm -hmm. and you need to know that it's kind of um something that will get easier but it's going to take a long (laughs) time like actually shout out to kylie who for all things has just been an absolute warrior for caitlin Mm -hmm. it seems like in terms of like not taking any shit from anybody and just just unconditional support which Mm -hmm. i can't i absolutely can't imagine what it's like to be in that position where your parent transitioned but Mm -hmm. I think she's been incredibly, really publicly so. Mm-hmm. And there was sort of um, a lot of, I mean, again, is as this being sort of representative of pop culture in 2015, mm-hmm. I mean, I think this has been the first time where we can really, like, count a handful of, you know, transgender characters, yeah. um, you know, on different TV shows and um, sort of things like that. So it's great to have a spotlight on yeah. that community. Um, so moving on to our number one thing on the list. I, I completely forgot that we talked going into this about having sound effects. Oh, I'm so unprepared. That was me um, being a top ten nerd again. No, yeah, exactly, exactly. Top ten nerd. Um, are you guys excited to reveal number one on the list? Yeah. Yes. As defined by Cosmopolitan.com, happy hour podcast moment of 2015 Netflix and chill. <laughs> Netflix we all and have chill. to talk about this. We have to talk about Netflix and chill. It's a bit of a wild card. Danielle, can you talk about this? Well, what's interesting is that I was out of the country in August when the rumblings of this started. So I came back and I was like off Twitter and everything. And I came back and I'm like, why is everyone talking about Netflix and chill? And I thought it meant you put on Netflix and you get in your pajamas and you eat some ice cream and you power through a few episodes Wait, you mean you don't? (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I'm like, that's just what I do. I didn't know it had a name. So then, fast forward to like a month ago. (laughs) You're like, fast forward to yesterday. To yesterday. And finally, I'm like, oh, this means something else, right? And a friend of mine was like, yeah, it's like code for do you want to come up and make out? Like, it's like the updated, do you want make to come back out. for a drink kind of thing. Right. I know, I say make I'm such a prude. I'm like, do you want to come back, kiss my face a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that it was like a euphemism for sex. For like, <laughs> for like casual sex for like months and months and months. So and it's changed it's, your approach to Tinder ever It has changed <laughs> my entire life. I'm like, walking to people in the train station. I'm right. like, hey, Netflix and chill? <laughs> no. And they're like, what? And I'm like, ice cream. And oh, oh, no, now that I know what that means, I know I've been sexually harassing all of New York. <laughs> but yeah, a year ago at this time, it didn't even exist. Now it's all, it's like basically already over because yes. it's become so like memeified yeah. in every single way. Um, but I just think it's crazy to think about, you know, like again, a few years ago, Netflix Netflix itself didn't even exist right. and now it's become sort of such this sort of like delicious pop culture like sexy I don't even know what it I means nothing it. and everything mm. all that at is once so great about it is it's so ubiquitous but it also doesn't mean anything right <laughs> exactly it, it means whatever you want it to and also it just means like not what I would think it would mean right, right. like I don't know if I take my TV watching too seriously but like if I'm watching Orange is the New Black mm-hmm. and you start, like, you know, getting your, like, spooning boner on, I'm just going to be annoyed because <laughs> I need to know what's going on with my show, okay? So, Netflix and shut up and be quiet. Okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Netflix and no exactly chill. the same. Completely. That's why it didn't even occur to me that it was about, like, sex or making out. Like, it didn't occur to me at all because I'm like, yeah, Netflix means shut up, I'm by myself. Right, right. right. Exactly. exactly. Like, maybe Hulu and chill. I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Prime and chill. Yeah, exactly. Cable and chill. Cable and chill. <laughs> just a black television screen because I don't have it. Right. <laughs> or like the HBO Go subscription that you've borrowed from your parents and right. doesn't work because right. everybody's watching it at the same time. So fuck it, I guess we will just make out. Right. And go. <laughs> I mean, and chill. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. 
Um, on that note, thank you all so much for helping me count down the top 10 most delicious Netflix and chili moments of the year. Um, and thank you all for listening. We will see you in 2016 on the Cosmopolitan.com Happy Hour podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.